Amen. Thank you, Ned. All right, Ned mentioned uh, teaching about anger, and that was that was plan number two because I wasn't sure what was going to happen. But we're going to be te- uh, talking in Genesis. We're going to be talking from Genesis today. And but if you are angry that we're not doing anger, then let me know. I got plenty of stuff. Ned's got all kinds of uh, biblical information for you on anger, and that is obviously a good study. But today we're going to do. Genesis. So just real quick as a review, can anybody tell me who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses, good job. Can anybody tell me we divided the book up into two big sections? The beginning of the and the beginning of the beginning of the race and the beginning of the the Jewish or chosen race was kind of like the two major sections. Then we talked about some kind of what I would say big ideas or big concepts in the book of Genesis themes, if you will, that we see over and over and over in the book of Genesis. Does anybody remember that? You guys are doing good, by the way. Anyone remember some major themes? God's grace. His sovereignty. That he's good. And see that even more. He what? He reveals who he is. Excellent. So. Our kind of our main overarching, uh, I would say, catchphrase or big idea for the book is God's grace, the cure for our corruption. He does reveal his nature, that he's sovereign. What does sovereign mean? We say God is sovereign. He's in control. He's in charge, right? No one, no one's in control of him. He's in control of everything else. Um, also, we see over and over and over, We saw it just even last week in Genesis 1 that God, and we'll see it again today, God seeks to bless mankind. God wants good things for his people, for his creation, but he will not tolerate disobedience. We haven't got to the disobedience part yet. We see that God has got good plans, good intentions, got the uh, your best interests at heart. But he's not going to put up with disobedience. Um, And then we'll see in the book over and over and over. And just if you think about some of the stories, whether it's the Tower of Babel or you talk about the flood or you talk about Joseph, you see these things that kind of like seem like they're starting out good. And then there's some kind of rebellion. Things go bad. But then God comes in and redeems the situation or rescues the situation through his grace. And that is kind of an overarching theme you see over and over and over in the book. I want to continue to remind us of that because we're, we get in the individual puzzle pieces and it can get a little out of focus. But we want to remember God's in control. God's in charge. God is gracious. He's kind. He's good. God continues to give second chance to rebellious people. Third chances over and over and over. We see God's goodness. Okay. And then there's our division, two major divisions of the book, human race and chosen race. So good on that. So we're going to cover, Lord willing, the rest of chapter two. Does anyone remember what we covered from chapter two last week? We only covered three verses. God did something. We covered seven days. What was the seventh day? God rested. So that was verses one through three. So now we're going to start in uh, verse uh, four. But I want to kind of start by just asking a few questions as we do. Do you ever doubt God's love or care for you? Why or when? Some people will say no way, never. Other people will say all the time. But if you could just kind of think about if you've ever doubted God's love or that he cares about you, what causes us to feel that way sometimes? You, yeah, I remember that uh, conversation in our living room, my living room. Yeah. Bad things happen. Bad things happen. Like, how can God really love me and let stuff like this happen to me? Bad right. Okay. This is real life stuff, right? This is kind of where the rubber meets the road and some of those inner wrestling matches we have like is god we say he's good when we come to church but sometimes i feel like 
is he really good? Does he really have my best interests in mind? We can really kind of dive deep, argue with that a little bit. How do we know if someone cares for us? What would be some indicators that a person cares for us? There for us, good. Consistency, good. Okay, prove it. I think back even what Rob's saying, a lot of us, uh, you know, we we feel like if they do something but without us even deserving it or earning it or doing something good, that's kind of a sign that someone really cares about us, right? Like even when we're a knucklehead and they still do something kind or good, gracious to us, you're like, wow, they really care about me. It's not just what I bring to the table. They, they actually care about me. Yeah, good. And then uh, last question before we move on is why is freedom or our choices important to a relationship? Why does that matter? Okay, because there's going to be consequences. We are going to talk about that today. Yeah, yeah. It's important to have a choice in a relationship, right? Has anyone ever felt like they're being pressured in a relationship to feel like, well, this isn't really my, you're like forcing me to try and care about you. Like you, like I want this to feel a little bit more like, I know even in marriage, maybe some of you guys have felt this way. It's kind of like you say something like, I just want you to be more this. And then you start trying to get the person to do that. And then they kind of start doing it. And you're kind of like, I don't want you just to do it because I'm telling you to do it. I want you to do it. And it's like, can't, is it? That's not just Carly and me, right? There's other people that have had that. Uh, good to know your, your pastor and his wife are a wreck. Uh, um, just, just kidding. But you can relate to that, right? Just the idea of like, I want someone to want this, not to feel forced or obligated in a relationship. Relationships that are built on obligation, manipulation, being forced, they aren't much of a relationship. There's not much of a relationship there. So kind of what we're going to talk about today, and if you look at chapter two and take a big step back, I believe the message that's clear is that God's care for us, love for us, is revealed in what he's given us or what he's provided. So we can see that God cares about us, that God loves us because of how he has provided for us, what he has given to us. I'm going to have you guys help me with some of the reading. The first section we're going to read talks about that the Lord takes care of the earth, meeting every need. So we're talking about that God cares about things. God cares about his creation. He cares about his people. And first off, it's important for us to see his, he has the ability to take care of all of his creation. He 100% has no problem taking care of his creation. Okay? Who wants to read these first few verses? Reese. Okay. Part of what may be confusing about this is like, I thought we covered all seven days of creation last week. What he's doing is he's kind of like, here's the seven days. Now we're going to zoom in to some specific instances on those seven days. Kind of like a movie, you kind of get the big story. And then they go back and they do like a kind of like this flashback, flash forward. It's kind of like we got the flash forward last week. And now we're going to kind of flash back and look at a little more zeroed in instance. And what he's saying is here, God created the earth. And before there was any plants, he had already set up a watering system. And it talks about that there was no rain on the earth. I don't want to get too much into this, but a lot of people believe that there, when we talk about he separated the firmament and brought the waters up, like we talked about and created the atmosphere and the clouds that really there was no rain even until the flood. We can't prove this, but it, it, it there's a lot of reasons why that would make sense. I don't want to uh, get to, too distracted with that. But the bottom line of what he's saying is 
he figured out a way to water all these plants. He had that totally taken care of. And there was no man in the garden to be tending the garden, tending his creation, but it was perfectly cared for. Bottom is God completely able to take care of what he's created. There's implications for us in that and learning to be settled in and go, God has the ability to meet all of my needs. Um, something that's kind of a zoom in, unless you did some uh, like deeper studying on this, you wouldn't really see it. But in the whole first chapter, the name for God is Eliohim, uh, which is kind of the where he says, let us. It's kind of that plural God has the idea of a plural God. But the idea there is of God's power. The idea is of God as the strong one. Elohim is, is the idea of that he's transcendent. When transcendent means is he is so big, so high, so mighty, so far above all of his creation. He transcends everything we even know. But then here we have, in, in, after he rested in verse 4, when it talks about God, it says the Lord God. You'll see that over and over in this passage. The Lord God. The Lord God. That's a little different title. That's Yahweh. Some people would translate that Jehovah. Uh, it's this different name for God. And there are all kinds of names for God in the Almighty. There are all kinds of names for God in Scripture. But this Yahweh is the idea of the covenant-keeping God. It, it, the focus here is on that he's relational, that he keeps his promises and his eminence. So transcendence is he's so far above his creation. Eminence is like Jesus coming down to the earth. He's personal and connected and relational with his creation. So again, you wouldn't notice that, but there is all of a sudden this shift in Genesis 2 where you start to see God not as just sovereign. He is sovereign, but he's also a personal God. So I kind of just put in a couple questions. We're not going to have time to dive into this, but I think it'd be helpful just to kind of think about you and I probably are wired to think of God as more one than the other. Usually people end up in a ditch on either side and none of us have a perfect view. But most most of us will pick one side, one lane or the other, and, and we think of him as so high, so mighty, so far above, so big, so powerful that he would not want to have anything really to do with us loser like me and then there are other people that are just like yeah they kind of think of god as their bud and their pal and there's this kind of like nice little relationship but they don't see him as the almighty god so i just ask you to contemplate like how do i view god and if you steer towards one side or the other what would it do for your relationship with god to maybe embrace the other side a little bit more. So even as I've said that, have you kind of thought in your mind of like, where are you lean one way or the other? And then try and think, okay, so if I started maybe trying to embrace some of that other side of God's personality, it would help me. And I, I just thought of my dad as I was preparing uh, for this. And I thought of the, you know, my dad had all kinds of flaws and all kinds of good and bad. One of the great things about my dad was he was a very powerful man. Like he was physically powerful, personality powerful. Uh, no one really messed with my dad. He was one of those kind of guys. Um, but there's something I knew about my dad is I knew he would stick up for me. He would do whatever it was to keep me safe, to look after me, that he wasn't just shallow. He wasn't just far off. He cared about me. And I feel like that's one of the beautiful things, and not everybody had that uh, benefit here, but that's a picture of God. And so we can start to see, like, is he just big and far off? Or is he just my pal? There should be a blending of relational and respect. Okay. The Lord gives man everything needed for physical and spiritual life. This is a big chunk of scripture, but we'll just take it one, one section at a time here. Who wants to read this verse? Go ahead, Junior.
is that a cool verse or what? That is, I feel like that is just such a cool verse. The idea here is that God crafted man, God formed God, God hands on crafted man. He was involved. We were, humanity was handcrafted by God out of the dust of the ground, which is a, there's some humility there. Like we're elements. I've read something, who knows if it's true, but like if you put together all the elements that we were made out of, it would be like, seven dollars and 50 cents worth of material like like i just say like wow that is kind of humbling uh if you just take all the like elements for what the elements are worth i don't know if that's true or not but i thought that's kind of puts things in perspective um but then he breathed life his life into us we talked about that that we were created in his image we're the only part of creation created in his image he breathed his life into us. I believe this is a reference to spiritual life that Adam and Eve, but we're primarily talking about Adam right now was indwelt by God. God breathed his spirit, his life. He gave spiritual life and made Adam spiritually alive. We probably had the Holy spirit indwelling him. That's not true through all the Old Testament. We don't see that happening. But with Adam, originally, I believe, I wouldn't sit here and argue back and forth about it, but I believe probably this, when he breathed his life into him, he was giving man a spirit that was alive and connected to God. In uh, John 20, 22, it says, when he had said this, Jesus, this is after Jesus, who was resurrected before he ascended, says he breathed on them, again, that idea of breathing, Jesus as God, breathing on them and told them to receive the Holy Spirit. So again, we kind of see this little picture, maybe a snippet of what happened there in the garden of, hey, now I want you to be born again, just as Adam was born the first time with the Spirit indwelling. I want you to be born again with the Spirit in you. And so God out of all the different uh, creations that God had, we are the only ones that are spiritual beings cap capable of having an eternal relationship with them. So we're taking a we're taking a step back and we go, man, God is able to meet all the needs of His creation. God is able to give physical life. God is able to give and did give us spiritual life and made us spiritual beings. We're not like a cat or a dog or a lizard. We, there's something absolutely different about us. Uh, so originally man was born, I believe, into spiritual life if it, things would have went good. But now, because of sin, we'll get into this next week. The per thing that perpetuates is death in us. We're born with a dead spirit. It says a spirit of Adam in us. When what we need is the Holy Spirit, spirit of life. Okay, who wants to read these verses? Go ahead, Diana. Thank you. Okay, we're going to definitely be talking more about these two trees. Um, but for now, we want to just see that God put man in the garden where every tree was growing that was pleasant to the sight or beautiful and good for food. So we can, again, we're starting to see, man, God really cared about his creation. So he placed man in the garden. The trees were beautiful and produced fruit that was good for food. He provided this tree of life, and, and I believe that the tree of life allowed men to physically continue living. We'll see that next week, Genesis 3.22. He basically told them, you guys can't eat from that tree anymore. I'm going to keep you away from that tree because now you have to experience death. That's next week. But the tree of life, he gave them this tree, which I believe also is a picture of Jesus, but that they could continue to enjoy physical life. If they wouldn't have sinned, God set it up. So that his creation, man, could enjoy physical life forever and ever and ever. And you think about what are the things we struggle with here on earth that makes us question God's goodness is the idea of death. That wasn't in the way he wanted things to go. 
That was not his plan. Again, we take a step back and look at these first two chapters and we see, man, God's powerful. Man, God is good. Man, God is nice. Man, God's benevolent. It's like you, you talk about someone giving a gift out of their riches. And so you might have someone who doesn't have much money and they give you a gift and that's going to be a nice gift, but it's just kind of a small gift. And then you take someone, maybe a middle-class person, they give a gift to maybe oh, that's a nice gift. And then you take the richest person that exists and they give according to their riches. How benevolent, how good, how gracious, how abundant would their giving be? And that's what we see God doing here. He put them in the garden, gave them a beautiful place to live, everything they needed to eat, a way to continue living forever. It's important for us when we struggle with problems in life and the difficulties of life to remember all this garbage we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, which we all do, was not what God wanted for his creation. God wants what's best for his creation. He wants what's good for you. He wants what's good for me. He knows what's good for you. He knows what's good for me. He wants to provide his good things to us. He's a good God. <clears throat> little, little bigger section here. Who wants to read this? Go ahead, Tina. All right. You got a, you got the toughest passage out of the thing. Good, good, good job. Good job. Wait, I don't know if you would have taken that on if you would have looked at those words ahead of time. Uh, the idea here is you can just see God is watering his garden with these rivers, these rivers that surround it. It's a good place. It's a, uh, a place where there's all kinds of gold. It's a, it's a little picture of actually some of what it talks about in the eternal temple and what it talks about in Revelation. I'm not going to get into that, but if you want to feel like kind of like to quote unquote nerd out on this, you can look at Ezekiel 47, you can look at Revelation 22, it's a picture of many of these things. And so it's kind of a picture of God's design, God's presence among his people. I'll read this one. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And now all of a sudden we go, ah, I knew there was a catch. There's always a catch. It's awesome. Everything they want, everything they, and then there's something they can't have. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, okay? First of all, God, before we get into that, God gave man purpose. And so he didn't just create man for emptiness. He gave him a job to do. He said he put him in to tend the garden. And I'm going to fast forward here and just think about our idea of heaven. A lot of times we think like, oh, that seems kind of lame. Are we going to just sit around and harp? He wants his people to have purpose, to have meaning, to be fulfilled in what they are actually doing. And then we see, uh, we'll see again in a few verses that he gave man the job of naming all the animals. Uh, Probably a few years ago, we went to the World Wildlife Zoo. Evie and I went to the Phoenix Zoo, but the World Wildlife Zoo, I, I just remember we went in, and if you hang a sharp right, if I remember correctly, there's just like the section of birds. And it was like, I felt like, I don't remember if it's the right way or not, but okay, might have my north, so yeah, okay. So anyway, I just remember we kind of were like in the section of birds, and then we're finally like, we got to get moving, man. We've spent, I feel like we spent an hour and a half in the bird section. Uh, but just the idea of God's creation and then Adam getting to name all those animals 
And then we also saw last week that he said, I want you to subdue and have dominion over the earth that man and woman were to rule over the earth. He didn't just set them up for a boring existence. He gave them some purpose. He gave them some meaning. Uh, and we think sometimes it's like, oh, great, there's going to be work. Like, that's going to sound like a burden. Um, but really what it was, was it was just an enjoyable way to worship God, to obey God, to serve God, to carry out God's desire in creation. We got, we're looking here again. We know all the dirty, rotten, sin-filled uh, thing of our everyday existence. But what we're looking at here is God's original design was to be hanging out. And I said, think of working at the world's best botanical garden and zoo while enjoying perfect fellowship with God. Like you're getting to hang out with the animals in a beautiful place. Like that sounds, and you're in charge of everything. No one's in charge of you except for God. I mean, what a cool existence. He set man up for a really cool existence. Um, and so when I said, if you're fearful, heaven will be boring. Think about God's design for man in the garden. What does this tell us about God? Or how should, how should this make us even think about work? Maybe any ideas? He wants good things, right? He wants us to be happy to enjoy doing things. Yeah, that's a cool job. I mean, even if you're not an animal person, if you got to name all the animals and check out all the animals, like that's a pretty cool job. And you wouldn't even have been afraid of them. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah completely and, and uh, just on the idea of work it's important for us to see before the fall there was work before sin entered the world sin is not or work is not a bad thing that came about because of sin there were thorns and thistles we'll talk about work became difficult but work in and of itself or having a job to do is not something that God designed to be misery. So we can start to shape that. Like, so how can my work become my worship? And that might change that. Just that perspective might change your experience, your work experience, Diana. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And so, again, kind of taking the big picture, stepping back and looking at this going, God gave us some things because he wants good for us. So even tomorrow morning when you wake up and you're like, ah, oh, Monday morning, got to go to work. We can begin to think God wanted work to be something good. So maybe I need to change something about my view of going to my job or my perspective about my job or the way I'm going to carry out my job where it is something that's glorifying and filled with godly purpose again these, this passage is you know we can look back and go like well this is way back in the garden no this has a ton to do with our everyday lives here now kind of get into this tree choice thing the two trees uh he said you can eat from any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil we'll talk more about this next week but then he also gave a warning didn't he Anyone who eats from that tree of knowledge of good and evil will die, surely die. And so one, we need to see that God gave us freedom. That's another thing we're looking at. What did God give? What did God give? What did God give? God gave man freedom. And we know that in order to be free, we got to have choices, right? You can't have freedom if I'm like, you're, you're completely free. You just need to drive a Prius. Yeah. Uh, what do you mean I'm not free? 
you're forcing me to drive a Prius, I'm not free. So, so the idea is to be free, there have to be some choices if it's no choice. And so we look at that tree in the garden and we're like, why would he do that? He's just setting us up for failure. Why would he put something in there? Because if he didn't do that, you're missing a whole dimension of relationship, a whole dimension of experience. You don't have the experience of freedom. You don't even get to have slight, it would be like raising a kid and forcing them to stay in some little bubble and they got to do what you tell them they're going to do and do the uh, job that you're going to do and marry the person you're going to do and and your control every single thing about that kid, there's going to be, they're not going to experience the full experience of freedom, which God wants, like another good thing. God gave us freedom. Unfortunately, there have to be some choices when there's freedom. Choices are necessary for loving relationships, right? We talked about that. If you want to be in a relationship, and even if you think about just even, uh, I don't want to get too, off track here but even if you think about a sexual relationship there's a big difference between a mutual sexual relationship and a forced sexual relationship diabolically diametrically opposed to one another and diabolically opposed to one another there has to be a choice for there to be true love in a relationship and so God also, he didn't give this command as a tyrant. You could kind of hear it that way, maybe going like, oh, you're going to die, big threat. No. And I, I thought about it like this. The warning he gave us was not to steal our joy. It was for our benefit. So you think of a warning like this. Hey, you can run and play anywhere you like, just not on the freeway. Play in the freeway, you're going to die. That doesn't sound so bad, does it? Like, it's like, oh, okay, well, that sounds pretty reasonable. That's kind of what God did. You can eat any tree you want. You can experience freedom. You can experience joy. You can have all kinds of fun. Just don't eat, do this one thing. I want you to have choices. I want you to experience choice. I want you to experience freedom. I want you to experience a loving, choosing relationship with me. You're going to die if you don't. Does that sound like he really was like strangling the fun out of things for him? Like just trying to make him miserable, saying, you can't, Adam, you can't do anything. No. So this warning points to God's benevolence, his kindness, not that he's a tyrant. Someone uh, earlier said that it's, uh, our response is what's important. So we see right off the bat here, to have a proper relationship with God, they're going to need lots of trust and, and obedience. Right, right off the bat, right in the garden, see, we see there's a choice. Are you going to trust him? Do you want to have a relationship with God? You want to trust him? You need to obey that. Is that true to them? You want to enjoy the relationship I've got, and we have to trust. This next next week, but sometimes we think we know whether it's good or bad outside outside what God says. We think we know better, right? Um, you know, you know, he does down down to you. God's God's word. I told this one Adam. You're saying my God's about these Don't do 
something got in the way for him. God tells you, you can do all of these things. Just trust me. No baby. Have we done that this week? If you didn't, what got in the way? What kind of stuff gets in the way? We need to figure out where the rubber meets the road. How does this stuff even apply? What gets in the way of us? Okay, let me just ask you this. Did you all trust and obey God all week long? Did anybody have a couple of slip-ups on trusting and obeying? What happened? Doubts, okay? And that's what Adam did. We're going to see next week. He's like, uh, there's this, did God? Satan puts a doubt in his Did God really say? So there's doubt, okay, doubts. Sin nature, we're just kind of wired that way now to, to want opposite of God, rebel. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Circumstances, it gets hard to think, clouds things, right? Something we know is true. I mean, you think about that even in a relationship. You know you want to be kind, you want to be loving, you want, and then circumstances happen, and then you're a grump or you're rude or whatever. So the pressures, the circumstances can get to us. Okay. Yeah, it can be the way you were taught, the way you were trained, past habits that you've made or just bad ruts you're in. Penny? Yeah, yeah. Did you have one? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting to see because it's really easy for us to get down on Adam going like, what a knucklehead, man. Like, well, you had it all so good. You had a choice. Uh, and then we, Rob and I were even talking this morning when we were talking about in the kingdom when at the end of the kingdom, when Satan's going to be released again and a bunch of people get deceived, it's like all through time, God is giving us choices, whether it's Adam in the garden, whether it's us, us now, whether it's in the future kingdom, we all have choices, whether we're going to obey God and experience his fullness or not and experience separation, death, destruction, discouragement, despair, all of those things that come along with uh, not trusting God. Okay, we could talk for hours about that, but I just wanted us to kind of think like this tree of knowledge of good and evil. I think we sometimes, right off the bat, our gut reaction is like, why would he put that in there? It was necessary for a full, to be kind of like a full orbed person and be a free person and to experience a real relationship with God. So I know like part of it is probably God, but another element is that in order for the like over that ultimately that or identifies more specific or Yes, I can yes, I think so. I think in God's original design. That was it, that man would glorify God by subduing creation and demonstrating his character in all of creation. So basically, we're created in the image of God. So I feel like everything we would have done, choosing to trust him. I will say, so yes, completely. But I will say also, I think that God, even knowing ahead of time what would happen for next week, is able to glorify himself, even though man messed it all up. And so we can, we kind of like get another chance but his original design was yeah you're going to glorify me by choosing me choosing me choosing me saying no to that tree that that's what you're saying right yeah but when I look at it for like, well, it's not really, it's not just about me. It's also about ultimate glory of God. For me, I don't know. That, for me, it makes me less angry about that tree. Yeah, okay. 
No, no, I think that's a good point. I like it. No, that's a great point. I think it's a good good perspective. Yeah. Tune in next week. I don't know if next week will be anger. Depends on uh, if I get sick, it'll it'll be. Yeah, yeah, the. Uh... We will talk about we will, we will talk about that uh, next week because because. 100% that's what happens. We call it blame shifting. And the woman's like, the serpent tempted me. And then all of a sudden the man's like, the woman tempted me. And they're just, it's like their blame. Everyone starts blaming everybody rather than going like, I fell down on that. Okay, the Lord gives man a wife. Again, so we're talking about blessings. If some of you are like, oh, boy. Remember, we're talking about God's good design. So if you're a little cranky about the marriage thing or you had a rough morning getting to church, uh, you know, and you guys are at odds, remember, this was a gift. This whole marriage thing was God's gift to mankind. Who wants to read this? Jana, thanks. All right, thank you. So when he says it's not good, so all through creation we've seen it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. God said it was good. God said, and when God here says this isn't good, and what he's not saying is I really messed up on this one. What he's saying is my plan here for for this situation is not complete. It's not complete and it's not good to just if we just left man out. Um he told him to be fruitful and multiply. So there needs to be a way for him to carry out. And what's going to be most beneficial, again, what he's saying is like, what's going to be most beneficial for man? We're looking at how God blesses us. God provides. As he says, what's going to be best for man? And God knows what's best for you, best for me. What's best for man is for him to have a wife. It says none comparable means there's no other like him. He lacked one that was suitable or corresponding to him in contrast to the rest of creation. In other words, man sitting here going, oh, that's a platypus, that's an elephant, that's a monkey, uh, that's a donkey, that's and kind of like going, there's none, no one else like me. I'm totally different. So there's no one comparable. So God says, I'm going to make one like you. And then God said he made a helper. And I, I don't want us to understand this like helper, like you're my laborer you're my ditch digger you're the ditch digger of the relationship you're the the flunky uh servant that's not the idea here the idea of helper is that one who supports it's a partnership is kind of the more the idea and we see that here in a minute where he takes him out of the side i think is a picture too of a partnership that's supposed to be he says helper this is when this is gets translated into greek many years later it was originally in hebrew when it gets translated to greek they use the same word paraclete that we use see for the Holy Spirit. So basically like we have the Holy Spirit as our helper. Adam was given Eve as his helper. So we don't think when we hear helper as far as the Holy Spirit, we don't think some subservient, uh, you know, laborer for to just carry out the stuff we don't want to do. No, it's a partner. It's one that helps us. It's one that, uh, works with us, comes alongside as our aid. And so it's a partner. It really is a partnership. And so just a couple points on this is marriage does provide an opportunity that's unmatched by any other human relationship. There is the opportunity for unity here that you can't have in any other relationship because it allows you to be one physically, one emotionally, one relationally, one uh, intellectually, it allows all of those things. But I want us to also understand that God did not design it and say that marriage is necessary to be fulfilled. You're like, how do you know that? Because Paul said it's not even beneficial for everyone. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, there are some, I wish that a lot of you guys were single. Paul wouldn't have said that 
if the only way to be fulfilled was through marriage. We do not need to be married to be fulfilled. We need a relationship with God to be fulfilled. And I will say we do need relationships with other people to carry out God's plan for us. We can't just operate in a box. And with this kind of the Lone Ranger mentality, especially in the United States, um, that's kind of how we've been kind of the independent, you know, uh, and that's God wants us to be in relationship. He created for relationship. He provided other people for us to be in relationship with. I believe the deepest, most intimate experience you can have of that is in marriage. But we know that there are many, many friendships, many, many relationships, many, many parent-child relationships that are so deep. They practically can cover every other base except for righteously the sexual relationship part. Um, so. Again, we're looking at God wanted good for us. Like that's plain and clear through this chapter, right? Like God did some cool stuff for us. Uh, a couple more verses and we'll be ready to wrap up here in just another minute. Who wants to read this one? Carly. All right. Another one of those really cool pictures. Wish we could have that on. Wish that was captured on video. That'd be so cool to see. Matthew Henry has this quote. It's a pretty famous quote. It says, the woman was made out of a rib of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Again, I think that points to the idea of a partnership in marriage. It's not tyranny, it's partnership. Then Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So that was Adam's response. He's, he's all excited. He's like, oh, this is awesome. Uh, and then because of these things, this isn't what Adam said, but because of these things, this is why father of, of kids are supposed to leave their fathers and mothers and be joined or united to one because of, this is how God started it out. This is kind of the precedent that was set up. It says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. I think the New Living translates this really well and catches the mood. He says, at last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of men. He's excited about this idea that he now has a partner. And I think back a lot of times when you're in that puppy love and you're just in that first relationship, that's kind of how you're feeling like, Adam was really excited. Again, this was a good thing. Now, if you've been married for many years, you're like, oh, I don't know how much work it is. God wanted it to be a good thing. It was a good thing. Um, why do you think Adam was excited about the creation of Eve? How might this relate to our relationships with one another? I'll just say we should remember to be excited for the partners or friends that God's given us. Leave and cleave that you've heard that. Uh, famous phrase before that comes from this passage. Uh, Since woman was taken from man, it's right for men and women to continue being united with one another rather than remaining united to their parents. God's design is that they leave. We could talk about a whole marriage counseling session on this about the importance of cutting the apron strings, etc. But the idea is that the two end up leaving and starting their own unit, their own family unit. Uh, it brings two separate lives together as one. And I always think that when we're at a wedding ceremony, it's really cool to see and to realize like these people are now have created like this whole new little creation. Like there's something new there that wasn't there before. Naked and unashamed, God designed us to experience freedom, joy, and security in our marriages and relationships, not insecurity, anger, and fear. A couple questions just to contemplate. What do we learn about God by seeing that he designed us to be fully united and unashamed in marriage? How might these things apply in a relationship besides marriage? You know what brings shame? Sin and the potential for sin. If sin wasn't in, imagine a relationship with no shame, no insecurity, no fear, no doubts, no wondering if they're going to cheat on you, no wondering if they really love you. No wondering if they think your body's great or horrible or somewhere else. Like, it, God designed it to be awesome. God, that's God's 
gift was marriage and this relational. And even if it's not marriage, he designed us to have fulfilling, full, joyful relationships, not all the muck that gets thrown into our different relationships. So kind of taking a step back, wrapping it up. God, here's just a few things. God's given us the opportunity to have a relationship with that. We saw that he's Yahweh. Uh, he's Elohim, but he's also Yahweh, relational God. All needs are fulfilled by God. He was water in the garden before there was anyone else. He is the meter of needs. God is the source of our physical and spiritual life, both. The Lord provides us with purpose. The Lord gives us freedom to trust him. And also, he's kind in that he warns us what will happen if we don't. God has given us one another. He's given us each other for relationships. This is pretty cool, right? Like God is so good to us. It says, do you truly believe God has your best interests at heart? Do you believe that? You think that he wants what's best for you? Do you believe that he knows what's best for you? He knew what was best for Adam, didn't he? You think he knows what's best for you? What's best for me? He does. Um. The idea here, too, is that Christ can give us that life again that was lost in the garden. We'll talk more about that next week. So we see God's love revealed and what he gives us. And the verse we all know so well, God so loved the world. We see our two ideas here, loved, right? God so loved Adam that he gave Adam this, gave Adam that, gave Adam this. Well, God so loved the world, you and I, that he gave what? His only son. We saw what he gave Adam, and we know what he's given us, all those things, and his son, so that we can enjoy a relationship. God loves you. God knows what's best for you. God wants good things for you. And we need to remember that when we in all the difficulties of life. It's so easy to get distracted from. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the life we have because of him. We thank you for creation, and just even like Ned was saying, the rain and we look around and we see trees and animals and uh, each other. We thank you for relationships. We just thank you that you are a good God. Help us to keep that in mind, even when things are difficult for us, that you are always good. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Have a great Sunday.